Let's open in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So the next three weeks as we head into Easter, we're actually taking a break in the book of Revelation to really just stop and pause and reflect and just marinate in the goodness of the cross and the resurrection. And so today uh, we're calling this sermon, The Resurrection, Did It Really Happen and Does It Really Matter? And we're out of 1 Corinthians 15, so I'm going to turn there and we'll read those two sections, 1 Corinthians 15. All right, so Paul says to us, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12th. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. Now skip down to verse 12. And Paul says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus, we thank you for your word, God, for your promise, your, your proclamation that you have risen from the dead, that our faith is not in vain, God, that we are going to meet with you in heaven, Lord, that we have hope in this life. Lord, I thank you for your word and how it feeds us and nurtures us, God. I thank you for how you conquer doubt as we, we hear your words and we hear your truth, God. And we just ask right now that you would come, Holy Spirit, you would meet with us. Lord, we are here to hear from you, God. We ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand all that you have for us, Lord. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, imagine real quickly for a moment if all the time you've ever spent at church, week after week, hour after hour, sermon after sermon, was completely in vain. Imagine if if not just your time, but your entire faith, everything you believed was in vain. There was no point to worshiping Jesus. There is no point to saying no to sin and to living a life of sacrifice and service. Even worse, imagine if God himself was a liar and Jesus was too. Imagine if there was no hope for the forgiveness of your sins and there was no hope to ever see a Christian who had died before us and there was no hope for us when we died. 
I mean, how heavy is that? And that would all be true if Jesus has not risen from the dead. The resurrection, you guys, is what is so amazing about it is, is that it's actually historical. It's a historical fact. It actually really happened. If we had a time machine and could be there 2,000 years ago, we would see Jesus with our own eyes, right? We're not just gathered around some nice ideas or even teaching or morality. We're, we're literally gathered around an event that actually happened in history. The whole Bible, we believe, actually happened. And, and not, not more any important than when Jesus actually rose from the dead, right? If you look in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's chronicling just the, the faith of amazing men and women and all the things that God had done with them. And while it required faith for them to step out, guess what happened once they stepped out in faith? Like something, right? He was like, Noah, build a boat. And he's thinking, this is crazy. And so he built a boat. But then a flood actually came flooded the earth, and he saved Noah and his family and animals. So, so Noah, it required faith, but then Noah saw that it happened. I mean, imagine that. Imagine, being, imagine following Moses out of captivity, and you're walking through just walls of the Red Sea. Like, yes, it requires faith, but you're watching this happen. Imagine being uh, with Joshua just marching around Jericho thinking, what are we doing right now? right? And then walls fall down. And literally, human beings with their eyeballs saw the walls of Jericho fall down. And so it is with the resurrection. Our faith in the resurrection, while we didn't get to see it, people, some people actually did see it. People saw Jesus die on a cross, like we can see each other. And then three days later, People, hundreds of people saw Jesus walking around again. They, people ate with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. And many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, wrote it down. Like Jesus rose from the dead. And now that's not an easy concept for us. A lot of times it's almost easier to just believe, oh, you know, it's, it's spiritual. It's in whatever you believe. But, but this actually happened. And it's important that this actually happened. And so... The sermon's kind of two parts. The first part is, did it really happen, right? We're going to look at, there's actual good, historical, logical, reasonable arguments that the resurrection actually literally happened in history. And, and after that, we're going we're to take a look at why does it matter. But first, did it really happen? The first, um, well, before that, I have two resources. So there's literally hundreds of books and articles that you can get these are just two really brief ones. If this kind of stuff interests you, like apologetics or arguments or the Bible and science or, or, or all this kind of stuff, these books are both really good. The first one is The Reason for God, and this is where I got a lot of help for this sermon. It's by Tim Keller, and we have these out at the bookshelf. So this is going to be a lot more, not introductory, but it's just going to be broad in scope, and it's, it's not going to go super in-depth, but it's going to be kind of like a highlight reel of really good reasons why we can trust in God. And then a more in-depth book, it's called the new Josh McDowell, the new evidence that demands a verdict. And this is going to have, what's amazing about this is he pulls from hundreds upon hundreds of scholars, Christians, non-Christians, and you get that scholarship of people being like, hey, I don't believe in the, what the Bible says, but like it actually makes sense that Jesus rose from the dead. So both of these we have at our book tables. And obviously we're, we're not going to have a ton of time to get really in depth, but we're just going to do kind of a, a brief highlight reel, some really 
important, helpful arguments for did the resurrection really happen? Um, before we do that, just briefly, here's the common objections to the resurrection, right? If, if you go to most scholars or even just non-Christians, people on the street, say, hey, do you believe in the, in the resurrection? And they say, no, these are the, some of the main things you're going to hear back. The first one is, well, you can't trust the sources, right? Like, how do we know that this is actually what people saw? How do we know that the church didn't hundreds of years later change it and write and, and put what, of what you want it to believe, right? The next one is, okay, so the disciples, they were so in love with Jesus that when he died, because they were so heartbroken, they genuinely believed Jesus rose from the dead, even though he, he couldn't have risen, but they believed he did. And so that's why they were genuine and that's why they died for their faith. Another one is, okay, maybe the disciples didn't believe, but like a, when a, your revolutionary leader dies, you go steal his body and you make up a story. No, look, Jesus, his tomb is empty. The body's gone. He rose from the dead. That's another common argument. And then the last one is over, over hundreds of years with, with Rome and different things like that, it served Rome well to adopt this Christian religion through Constantine and different things like that. And so it, it, Christianity and the church was formed by Rome and, and over hundreds of years by borrowing from lots of different mythologies and, and different ideas, they kind of created Christianity, but it didn't actually happen. So that, that's kind of summing up the broad arguments against it. And we have six arguments um, supporting reasonable arguments supporting the resurrection. So the first one is this. This text that we just read, 1 Corinthians 1, was only written 15 to 20 years after Jesus died, right? So let that sink in. What we just read, Jesus, three days later, died on the cross for our sins, was raised. That was written 20 years at most after Jesus died. That's even validated by multiple non-Christian historians. They just recognize that. It's a historical fact. These documents are very, very early. This one is the earliest one. All the gospels came within like 50 years after this happened. So within 15 to 20 years, public documents were stating Jesus actually rose from the dead. So the idea that Paul, 15 years after Jesus died, so if anything was changed, it would have to be Paul. And the idea that this devout Jewish author would, would take and make up all of these ideas and then, and then teach that this is what Christianity relates, it's a really unlikely thing. This 15 years, that's where we get our doctrine from 1 Corinthians, only 15 to 20 years later. Um, what else is that he mentioned, there's 500 witnesses. He mentions that in the document. So in case anybody was confused about that, he can say, hey, go, go talk to them. So that's the first one. First Corinthians, only 15 to 20 years. Number two, if, if, Christian, if the Christians at the time decided, let's just make up a story, right? Let's make up the fact that um, Jesus rose from the dead. We know he didn't, but we're going to make it up. The details they include in a story would never have been included if they made it up. And, and probably the best example is the first people, who were the first people to reach the empty tomb? Women, right? At that time, women's testimony was, was so not valuable, they couldn't even testify in court. If a woman literally watched a murder happen, they'd say, well, she's a woman. She can't, whatever she says, it doesn't matter. So if Christians are making up a story, they should not have included such a, a, a fact that would be as unbelievable as that. In fact, N.T. Wright, another uh, scholar, he writes that even if the women really saw an empty tomb, 
in that culture, there would have been enormous pressure for Christians to get rid of that fact. Even if it was true, they would have been saying, hey, yeah, but why do you have to talk about the women being there first? Like, get rid of that. That's not helpful. People aren't going to believe you if you tell them women got there first. But he, he later argues that because that, was, that story was so well known, you couldn't change it. That's just what happened. Women got there first. It's an actual fact. So if Christianity, we're, we're making up a story, we wouldn't have included the women. There's a whole list of, doc, of, of details like that, that if you're making up a story, you wouldn't have included. There's all kinds of stuff like that. But that's kind of a, a highlight there. The third one, actually did a sneak peek earlier. Paul writes, there were 500 witnesses still alive to be consulted, right? So if Paul was just making this up, there are 500 humans who were willing to testify, we saw Jesus, right? This wasn't just a few guys in a room thinking how, conspiring, like how are we gonna make this story up? 500 people. Imagine if a, a crime happened today and there were 500 witnesses, 500 eyewitnesses. So you go to court and the first one stands up and says, yeah, like this guy did that. And then the next witness. And that happened 500 times. Like that is un- no court case, like that's crazy that the jury would absolutely take the witness of 500 people, 500 people. And what else is at that time, and and that's part of how we know the document is so early, those people were still alive. Like imagine if your dad or your grandpa was like, yeah, I saw Jesus. He looked like this. He had scars. I had fish with him. Imagine that. 500 people, that's almost double this room, have people with their own eyes saw Jesus walking around. Um, the, The other interesting fact about 500 eyewitnesses is that, so Christianity, it's not the only historical religion, right? There's historical and ahistorical. Ahistorical would be like Buddhism or Hinduism, where it doesn't really matter what the the historical figures, but a historical religion would be like Christianity or Islam or Mormonism, where people say, no, I had a real experience with God and this happened in history. But Christianity is the only one that doesn't just have one witness, two witnesses, but just for the resurrection alone, over 500 witnesses, right? When Muhammad got the Quran, guess who he was with? Nobody. He was just in a cave and he said an angel came. And then people had to take his word for it. Joseph Smith, guess who saw the angels come and give him his revelation? Nobody. Nobody saw it. Both of those religions are based on the the testimony of one person. Just the resurrection alone has 500 witnesses and at that time living witnesses let alone witnesses to every other event that happened in the Bible. Things like, um, what's it called? Archaeology can be super helpful. If you go look, there's actually cities, there's actual historical stuff that the Bible has proven to be more accurate than even modern scholarship. The Bible is an actual historical religion with many, many witnesses. So the idea that a small group of men just made this up, it, it it doesn't hold, it doesn't make sense. Number four, and this is, you maybe heard this one before, is that there were trained Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. And just for good measure, it was covered by a giant rock, okay? So remember the disciples. Remember who they were. Remember that Peter was afraid three days before Jesus rose to even admit that he knew Jesus to a temple girl. Then imagine Peter, having seen Jesus die, decide, you know what? I'm just gonna go fight some Roman soldiers. Let's go take them on right now. Let's kill them. Let's move it and steal Jesus' body. That's just not consistent. And, and even if the disciples decided to do that, let's say they didn't fight the soldiers, they snuck by them. 
trained Roman soldiers moving a giant rock without them noticing, stealing the body. In fact, we know that the Roman soldiers had to make up a story saying that the disciples came and, and that was just their story. But that, it's just unreasonable. You can't, there's no other way to explain an empty tomb guarded by Roman soldiers unless something miraculous happened. Number five, and this, this is getting pretty fun for me, the transformation of men. Okay, so there's some, do- there's some facts, but look at what we know about people. Look, think about what we know about human beings. So for example, Peter, who did deny the existence of even knowing Jesus to a little girl in just a few weeks is standing in public proclaiming Jesus rose from the dead, getting flogged, thrown in prison, and going and doing it over and over and over again until he dies. The same man, like something had to have happened. And, and I guarantee you, knowing what we know about Peter, he wasn't doing it for a lie. He must have believed something really happened. And think about Paul, right? Paul was a former murderer of Christians. Suddenly, a murderer changes his behavior and then goes and starts laying his life down for the gospel, for the very message that he was trying to stamp out. Like something happened there. Third, James. James, not the apostle James, but Jesus' half-brother was James. And what we know is that Jesus' family thought he was crazy, right? Imagine your older brother saying, hey, I'm God, and the only way to go to heaven is you believe in me. Like, okay, classic older brother, right? He literally thought his older brother was crazy. And yet we know James, who didn't believe in Jesus, something happened to where he wrote a book of the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James in the New Testament. Something happened. If, an, if a younger brother all of a sudden believes his older brother is God and writes a book of the Bible, something must have happened, right? And then all three of these men died for their faith. All three laid their life down because they believed the gospel. Uh, someone in church history said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut, right? These men were sincere. They were sincere. Similarly, number six, not just specific men changed, but entire worldviews changed overnight in multiple cultures. This is, this is maybe the most interesting point for me. It's easy to think when we look back on history that we are more intelligent, right? Like, oh, we're 21st century, we're smarter, we're more critical. If we were there, we wouldn't have believed. They must have been really gullible back then, but we're the smart ones, right? But what, you actually, what we actually know about the two predominant cultures at that time it throws that out the window. First of all, you're dealing with the Romans who are influenced by Greek, like Greek philosophy and logic and culture. Okay? So you're dealing with Greeks, and they believe that the soul is good, but the body is bad. Right? So a resurrection to them is the most undesirable thing you could imagine. Why would you, your whole goal in life is to be freed from your body. But, so why would you believe in a man who got his body back after he died? So, so they had every reason to reject a resurrection, their whole worldview. Number two, you're dealing with Jews. If you know anything about Jews, first of all, they, they did believe in a resurrection, but they believed that at the end of time, we would all be resurrected together. So they had no idea of the concept of one man in the middle of history rising from the dead. And number two, they were monotheists. They were so strict, they wouldn't even say the name of God out of reverence to him. They never would have believed that a man could be God, that a man could be the son of God. So both of these cultures had huge reasons to disbelieve the resurrection. If they didn't see it, it, it would make no sense for them to believe it. And just a quick side note on that. This is helpful. 
this kind of, this helps disprove the fact that the disciples made up the story. Because if you're going to make up a story, are you going to make up a story that no one's going to believe anyways? Like, what if I were to tell you, hey, I was surfing the other day and I caught a hundred foot wave at Rincon. Would it, you'd be like, okay, yeah, great. That's, so I would have to say like, hey, I got a six foot wave at Rincon. And you'd be like, mm, if you know me, that couldn't happen. But you'd never make up a story. <laughs> you would never make up a story that someone wouldn't believe, right? They would never have made up an idea that both predominant worldviews would just reject outright unless something really happened. And guess what? Something happened. Overnight, we have hundreds of Jews worshiping a man, calling him God. And within a few years, we have thousands of Greeks worshiping a man who said he was God. Tim Keller talks about this, and he talks about what it takes for a worldview to change. And he says this in The Reason for God. I think we have it up here. He said, such a massive shift in thinking at the worldview level only happens to a group of people over time. It ordinarily takes years of discussion and arguments in which various thinkers and writers debate the nature of the resurrection until one side wins. That is how culture and worldviews change. Yet that's not how it happened. Overnight, you have two separate, different worldviews merging into this belief that Jesus was the son of God who died on the cross, who actually rose from the dead. There's no way to explain that unless something really happened. So just summary to, to cap this off. We have a text 15 to 20 years old claiming the resurrection with 500 living witnesses. We have details like women as the first witnesses. We have trained guards, yet an empty tomb. We have Jews worshiping a man as God. We have Greeks worshiping a man as God. We have uneducated men like Peter leading the church. We have a former killer of Christians now telling the world about Jesus. We have a former skeptical younger brother of Jesus now believing his brother is God and writing a book of the Bible. And all of these people were willing to die for that belief. And finally, when you consider any argument, you have to take it as a whole. Like we have to consider all that evidence together, right? A case isn't just built by one, like here's our one piece of evidence and that's it. You, piece, you put a case together and we have from all angles, character, facts, history, uh, documents in history, historians who are Christians, historians who are not Christians, all pointing to the fact that something really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Like we don't have Christians, it's not blind faith. We're actually basing our faith on reasonable experiences, reasonable arguments that hold up that hold up to the test of other smart arguments. And the Bible says that we need to be ready to provide a defense, and, and that's encouraging to me. It's, it's real. It actually happened. And I understand, I mean, coming out of college where you're wrestling with new ideas, I remember how hard it was for me to wrestle with some of the truths in the Bible. Like, I, I don't know if I believe that God just really works miracles, right? I don't know if if Jesus could actually have risen from the dead, maybe, maybe his teachings, right? I mean, let alone the fact that Moses led 2 million people through the middle of a sea or that the walls of Jericho came or that all of the earth was saved by one man who built a boat. It's understandable. Those are crazy, audacious things to believe. And if that's you, I would encourage you, hey, start with the resurrection. Start, just start there. Study the resurrection because there are amazing, amazing, thorough arguments that will support that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then lastly, while it feels like an intellectual struggle, 
At the end of the day, it's not. At the end of the day, the number one reason why people reject the resurrection isn't because it doesn't make sense. They just say, it's just impossible. That couldn't have happened. Therefore, I'm going to find arguments against it, right? The, the fundamental thing is that's just impossible. That's crazy. The, at the, the foundation, you guys, it's a belief in our heart, not wanting to believe what God has stated in his word. You guys, so our, our ultimate need, yes, we should study these things and we should learn and how to defend our faith. But ultimately, what we need is for our eyes to be opened by God. The Bible says that our eyes are blind until God opens them, that, that we, our hearts are dead until God makes them alive, that we don't have faith until God grants us faith to believe. And so what we need ultimately is what the dad of a, of a sick kid said to Jesus. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. If this is you, if you're struggling, if this doesn't make sense, yes, think about these things, but I challenge you today, ask God to help with your unbelief. Ask God, ask God to grant you faith and watch what he, watch what he does. So did it really happen? Yes, some really good arguments. But even more important, honestly, is, is why? why? Why does it matter? What's the resurrection? What's really at stake with the resurrection? And so it brings us to our second question, does it really matter? So if you have your Bibles, if you close them, we'll need them back open to 1 Corinthians 15 because we're going to get all of our points from this text back at 1 Corinthians 15. So to start off, I, uh, I actually used to work at Starbucks. I worked there for three years. And I don't know, I'm like an overpacker. So I wanted to just have all my possessions with me at work. I don't know why. So I had this giant backpack and I wanted multiple books in case I got bored on my 10-minute break, like I need a new book. I, brought, I, I, brought, I literally bought a huge study Bible. I brought all kinds of food, extra food. And then over time, you know just how a bag just accumulates of stuff. And so I just had this huge bag. And I would take it to Starbucks every day. I would go to work, and then we'd have this rack in our back room where we would hang up our stuff, right? And so every day, I'd hang my backpack there. And then one day, literally, uh, because of the beating the rack took from my backpack, I, I hung my backpack on the rack, and not just the hook, but the entire rack and everyone's stuff, it literally like just ripped out of the wall and it was just there. And we never fixed it either. I don't know, we were like, I guess we don't have a rack anymore. And so we just, so I had to leave it on the ground. You guys, Christianity is, is the hook that all, or the resurrection, sorry, the resurrection is the hook that all of Christianity hangs on, literally. If the hook of the resurrection fails, all of Christianity fails with it. You can't, you cannot have no resurrection, but still have Christianity. You cannot do that. So we, we can't just ask, you know, how, did it happen? We need to know why does it matter? What hangs on the resurrection? And so Paul gives us all kinds of reasons in 1 Corinthians 15. Why does the resurrection matter? The first one he says, the first point here is in verse 14. And it's this, if there is no resurrection, our preaching and your faith is in vain. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So, I mean, imagine if every sermon, all this preaching, all this time was in vain. You're wasting your time. Like, you should just get up and leave. Let me just stay here. You're wasting your time. And imagine if your faith was in vain. Because why believe in a God who failed? Why believe in a man who died just like everyone else and stayed dead, right? Why would, why would we put our hope in a failure? So imagine, imagine this. This is helpful, helpful for me. I'm falling off a cliff, 
and I see a rope and I grab the rope with all of my heart and I'm holding onto it. But what I don't know is that rope is actually not attached to anything. So it doesn't matter at that point if I study how to climb ropes better or if I'm just holding it with all of my might, it doesn't matter. The rope is it's cut. There's nothing holding it. You guys, that's the resurrection. If the resurrection is not true, then the rope holding everything else up is, is cut. There's no need to study anymore. There's no need to trust with all of your heart. If you're trusting in something that, in a rope that's not going to hold you, you're going to fall. That rope is the resurrection. It's, it would all be in vain. But Jesus has been raised from the dead, amen? And so our preaching is not in vain. And well, you guys would have to listen to a little bit more. And your faith is not in vain, right? Your faith is not in vain. The second point is this. If there's no resurrection, this one's gnarly, then God's word is lying. And Paul says that in verse 15. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. So we believe here at this church, this is the actual word of God that God spoke. Yes, men wrote this, but they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God-breathed. And imagine if this is a book that's God-breathed that is wrong. Imagine if God knew Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but he wrote a book saying that he rose from the dead. We couldn't trust this book. God would be lying. The whole Old Testament is full of prophecies getting us ready for the Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to die for the sins of the world. All those prophecies would be wrong. We'd be wasting our time reading them. All the New Testament is reflecting on what Jesus has done. All of that reflection, all of those letters would be, would be wrong. There'd be no point in this book. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, God would be lying. And, and then just how heavy is that? Imagine a God who lies to us, a God who, a faith built upon lies. Imagine not being able to, I mean, just imagine not being able to trust in this book, like just to go to it with your soul. And yet we know Jesus has been risen from, has risen from the dead, amen? And so this book is not a lie. This book is food for our soul. This, this book is the way to salvation for our souls. And we, we can know that God is speaking the truth because Jesus has risen from the dead. Number three is this. If no resurrection, you've not been forgiven your sins. And, and uh, Paul says in verse 17, He says, and and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You know, as Easter is coming up, that's that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that we were once enemies with God, that his wrath was on us, that because we have sinned, that we deserve nothing but punishment from God. And yet at Easter, we remember that God loves sinners, rebels like us so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life and then his son died the death that we deserved. And his son took the punishment of all of our sins. And three days later, he rose again in victory. He's seated at the right hand of the father that whoever would believe in him, whoever would put their trust in Jesus would be forgiven of their sins. That's the gospel. And yet imagine all that happened, but then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Imagine that. Imagine that Jesus just stayed in the tomb. That means he wouldn't be the son of God. It means his teaching wouldn't be valid. It means that we would still be in our sins. And that's why Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Hey, but Jesus has risen from the dead. And Paul tells us that 
Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, our sins are now forgiven. There's no condemnation for us in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We have the righteousness of Jesus because he has risen from the dead. Number four, if there's no resurrection, death has the final word. And Paul says that in verse 18. He says, then look, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And imagine never seeing again the Christians that have died before us. Imagine us facing death and that's it. Imagine death having the final word. And yet Jesus says stuff like this. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And also in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You know, Christians, we have that hope of heaven. This life is not all there is. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. It has lost its sting. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, watching a TV show. Like I think of 24, right? Jack Bauer. And you're in the first season. And pretty much every episode, he's about to die. And you're just stressed out. Like he's, how is he going to make it through this episode? And you're stressed and you're, you're like, I don't know if this is worth it. And then you realize, hey, this is season one and there's eight seasons. And his face is on the cover of every season. You realize like, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he apparently is in other seasons. Like he's going to get out of this situation, right? It like calms you down. As, as Christians, we have a greater hope than just eight more seasons. We know the ending. We know that we're going to see God face to face with new bodies and re- a, a resurrected earth and heaven, and we're going to live with him forever. We know that. So when we face the things that we face in this life, we can face it with confidence. And we don't have to be stressed or afraid ultimately because we know how it's going to go. Number five, Paul says, if no resurrection, Christians are the most to be pitied. And he says that in verse 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. This is really challenging because a lot of, this is really common in our culture, in our day. People say something like this, you know, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I, I still like him and I like his teaching and he doesn't have to be the son of God for me to enjoy Jesus and to, to enjoy what he said. And so I'll, I'll at least follow his teaching, right? And on the one hand, that actually makes sense because if you follow Jesus' teachings, you'll probably be more forgiving and you probably, uh, yeah, it'll be nicer to people. But then you'll come ac- across teachings of Jesus like this. What do you do when Jesus says, you have to deny yourself every single day, pick up your cross and follow him? What do you do when you're just kind of into the teachings of Jesus and he says, you need to, your love for your mom and your dad and your husband and your wife needs to look like hate in comparison with your devotion to him. What do you do when Jesus says, hey, don't just love your friends. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for them. I want you to return, when they do evil to you, I want you to return that with good. What do you do when Jesus tells you, hey, sell your possessions. You don't need that stuff. You need treasure in heaven. Store it for treasure in heaven. If you're just in the teachings of Jesus and you don't believe in heaven, what do you do with that? What do you do when Jesus says, hey, don't seek revenge. Trust me. Leave that to me. Because the truth is, 
Christians, that we follow Jesus into valleys of suffering and sacrifice that we never, ever would otherwise if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. We, we are actually called to forsake many earthly pleasures that we never would if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Paul later in 1 Corinthians 15 said, if, if we're not rising from the dead, we may as well eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But, but we know because of the resurrection, this life is not all there is. And so Jesus says things in Luke 14 like, hey, don't seek your payment now for your good deeds. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. We don't seek payment in this life. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves, where thieves do not break in or steal. Hey, the truth is, if following Jesus was for this life only, Brit should have kept making surfboards, right? Because that would have been a better life than this. If following Jesus was for this life only, our missionaries should stay home in their own country but they don't because they know their true home and their true country is not here. If following Jesus was for this life, only our dis- the disciples would have been better off just being fishermen because they ended up losing everything, including their life, because they knew that this life was not all there was. Jesus is not just about this life. It's not just about getting all that you can get and, and enjoy Jesus' teachings now. Christians, we're, we're called to live with eternity in view. Our rewards are in heaven. Our comfort is in heaven. Our joy is in heaven. So if, if you take away the resurrection, you take away a Christian's eternal joy and comfort and reward, and we're left, if you really follow Jesus, you're left with a life of sacrifice and suffering for nothing. And no wonder Paul says most to be pitied because he actually lived that way. Paul knew. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3. Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost. I mean, how crazy is that? I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, Why? That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So could could you say that right now? Could you say, I'm not living for this life, that my hope is not in this life. My joy, my ultimate joy is not now. I'm living in such a way that I'm suffering because I know that one day I'm gonna see Jesus face to face, risen from the dead. And the last reason why the resurrection matters, I'm I cheated, it's not from this text, but it's so important. It's number six, it's this. We will all face a resurrection, either to life or to death. In Daniel, we read, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We're all gonna face a resurrection one day. The question is, are we gonna face the resurrection of life or, or to death? And that all has to do with what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the resurrection? So be encouraged, church. The resurrection of Jesus really happened, and it really matters. And Paul trusted in the resurrection so much 
He was willing, first of all, to hang all of Christianity on it. I mean, he wrote that. He said, if you lose the resurrection, everything falls. And yet he also hung his entire life on the hope of the resurrection. And my question to us is, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to hang all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our joys on the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead? Or do you have a backup plan just in case? Do you really believe it? And lastly, it's, it's this. If, if, if you are seeking to put your hope in Christ, I mean, you'll, you'll know it's not an easy task. We, we have all faced difficulties in this life, following Jesus or not. We know that, that to follow Jesus is going to be difficult. The way is going to be narrow. The gate is small. And some of us may right today, may be finding ourselves in a pretty desperate place in life. Some of you may find your faith in a desperate place. Like, man, I don't know if I believe this stuff. Some of us may be facing disappointment or disease or death. We may be facing sins that we can't seem to beat. We may be facing broken marriages. We may be facing our children not walking with Jesus. We may be suffering from wounds from others or from our past. And the resurrection, you guys, it offers hope to people like us. And whatever it is you're facing, I want us to hear this one simple truth. We want to end on this one promise. And it was a promise made by a weary man. It was made by a man who had lost everything, literally everything he, he lost, everything this life had to offer. Yet this man knew one thing. This was, the statement was made by Job. This is what, listen to what he says. In the face of it all, he said, for I know that my redeemer lives. That's what he knew. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. And my, my prayer for all of us is whatever we're facing that we can say that with Job. Amen, our skin is being destroyed. This life is hard, but I know that my redeemer lives and I'm gonna see him one day. Because the resurrection means the undoing of everything evil that has happened in our life. Literally, God will work it together for good. And, and think about the disciples. Think about the three days when, when Jesus had died and he hadn't risen yet. They thought, they thought they had just wasted their life. They thought they wasted those three years. They thought their sacrifice was in vain. They thought they were still in their sins. They thought it was all worthless. Imagine how they would feel. And then they saw a risen Jesus. You see how everything changed for them? And whatever we're facing, whatever discouragement or things that seem impossible we're facing... This is our hope that our Redeemer lives. And one day that's going to be gone and we're going to see Jesus face to face. Whatever we're facing, that's going to be true. And that's going to be our hope through it all. So as we, as we worship, I, my just challenge to us is let's come to Jesus with these things. Let's come to Jesus with our doubt. If it's doubt, if this is hard for us to believe, then come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help my unbelief. 
if it's discouragement, if it's disease, come to Jesus and know at least that you will see him face to face one day and that will be over. Let's seek his face on the carpets in worship. We're gonna, we have communion here to remember that his body was broken, but then he was risen. We wanna do that. And we also are gonna have prayer on the sides. If you need prayer, come, come pray. Bring these things to the body of Christ because we know that our Redeemer lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the resurrection, God. We thank you that we can actually know and be sure that these things are reasonable and that they happen. But even more than that, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done and won for us in your death and your resurrection, God. We thank you that we can trust in your word. Lord, we thank you that our sins are forgiven, that right now we can freely approach you, God. We can approach our Father because we have been clothed in your righteousness and you have taken our punishment and you have taken our shame. Jesus, we thank you that because of the resurrection, death doesn't have the final word. That we're gonna see those who have died before us who knew you, God, and we're gonna see you one day, whatever we're facing. Jesus, I thank you for the assurance that you provide of our soul when we trust in you, that it will be well with us, whatever we may face, that one day we will see you again, God, and it will be well with our souls. Lord, I pray now that you would, you would beckon us, you would call us to meet with you, to seek your face now, God. We don't want to wait, Lord. We don't want it to be too late when we have to bow our knee to you, Jesus. We want to do it today. We come to you now as your people, Lord. We thank you, God, for all that you have done. It's in Jesus' name.